This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey y'all, this is Miley Cyrus and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Matt and Joe. Thank you, Miley. That was that was lovely. <laughs> sort of sort of break it, break it down like good. Nerds and lady nerds, welcome to episode 122 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 3rd. It's good to be home. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not mutilating my fingers with Mexican and Chinese fireworks to celebrate this country's birthday, I write the Comic Speculator blog, rewardpoint.com. He's lucky I didn't change the ziggurat locks while he was gone. Mm. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not talking my co-host down from the idea of firing artillery shell fireworks from a tube fed through the fly of his pants. My brother actually did that. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. He burned off all his pubic hair. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of the return of the Dark Horse Heroes in Catalyst Comics number one and Satellite Sam number one from Image. After that, the sexy, patriotic mother-daughter team of Liberty Bell 1 and Liberty Bell 2 will help us review 10 more new comics during a ludicrous speed round, and then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the ghosts of some of this country's most patriotic dead heroes will whisper to us the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, one lucky listener will rest easy tonight, knowing the burning question that's plagued them all their life has been answered when we play ask a nerd. But before we burn down the ziggurat with the aid of oddly named fireworks like green bamboo and forceful movement, Yikes. let's take a moment to sing a little 4th of July song written by my friends Rymo and DB years ago. It goes like this. Well, it's the 4th of July. You don't have to sing along. So you don't know it. Everyone's happy. Red, white, and blue. Burgers and steaks. And lighten off snakes! And that was really it. There wasn't anything left. We used to sing a lot when we were drunk. And then we can talk about this week's big news! Matt had a painful, forceful movement right before I came over. I had several forceful movements today. The annual Image Comics Expo was held in San Francisco this week, and like last year, the publisher made a number of industry-shaking announcements. Perhaps the biggest news came when Image announced that they will be selling DRM-free digital versions of their comics in a number of different file formats directly from their website beginning immediately. That means that when a fan buys a digital comic directly from Image, the fan will actually own that file. This provides a sharp contrast to digital services like Comixology, where readers are effectively buying licenses to view their comics rather than buying the files themselves. The issue of digital ownership has been a point of contention when it comes to digital comics. While many people happily use digital distributors to buy their comics, the nagging question about what happens to their collections if the provider goes under has remained at the forefront of the conversation. We recently reported on the collapse of digital retailer J-Manga. Customers of that service lost their entire collections when the company shut down. I think it was Jamanga. <laughs> Jamanga. So the concern... Like Jumanji. Right, of. yeah. So the concern is a very real one. Jamaica. 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 <laughs> the current model for digital comic distribution was created to combat the spread of online piracy. Good luck with that. In an interview with Wired, Image publisher Eric Stevenson gave his opinion on the issue, saying, quote, My stance on piracy is that piracy is bad for bad entertainment. There's a pretty strong correlation with things that suck not being greatly pirated. 
while things that are successful have a higher piracy rate. If you put out a good comic book, even if somebody does download it illegally, if they enjoy it, then the likelihood of them purchasing the book is pretty high. Obviously, we don't want everybody giving a copy to 100 friends, but this argument has been around since home taping was supposedly killing music back in the 70s, and that didn't happen, and I don't think it's happening now. So, Matt, this is a huge leap forward for digital comics, am I right? Well, it's about damn time. Because, I mean, Apple figured this out with iTunes a few years ago and removed all the DRM from their music, and guess what? They're doing just fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, to think that they can control it is just ridiculous because you can't. And if you look at any torrent site right now, every comic that's available on Comicosity or any of the other sites, you can find to download illegally. Sure. So if you really want to get in on the conversation and make it easier for people to do this and do it any way they want to, then this is the way to do it. Well, yeah, I think there's a very fair argument to be made for the idea of of giving people an option to buy it legally and own it. Right. And most people will choose that option. Sure. And if you make it easy, if you make it really, really easy and cheap, like iTunes does, for example, mm-hmm. then people will say, well, I don't want to go through downloading it and making sure, you know, the format works and everything. It's just boom, done, wham. I'll pay, the, you know, this amount for it and it's mine. I could do whatever the hell I want with it. Right. Eric Stevenson, smart guy. He's absolutely right. If this was going to crush everything like we thought... It was going to crush movies. It was going to crush music. But if you look, the most... You're taking food directly out of Manny the Stuntman's mouth. Right, exactly. If Manny the Stuntman gets paid before the movie comes out anyway. Uh, yeah, but regardless that. of that, <laughs> the, like he said, the most successful songs out there are also the most highly pirated. But it's not hurting the money. And they're also they're the making. most successful songs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's how it goes. This is the nature of it. You're not going to stop piracy, but you can make it easier for people to get their hands on stuff. Right. And, and that's how you win. And I don't think it's a direct correlation between music on iTunes because um, iTunes is basically a middleman for dozens of other record companies, artists, et cetera, et cetera, whereas this is all, like, coming straight from Image. But I do love the fact that they're offering this and they're letting you choose your format. If you want to get a PDF for whatever reason and read it on your computer screen in Adobe Acrobat Reader, Feel you free. can do it. Yeah, feel free. My question is, will the big two follow suit? And if they do, how bad will retailers freak out? They will. They'll follow like suit. Like they have to, Yeah, right? they have to. I mean, this they can't. They can't continue to just put their hands over their eyes and be like nope this is how digital comics works from now and forever no like they have to and i understand that they're not uh you know following the same model but it's interesting for those of you who can't see i actually covered my eyes right i think it's interesting that this follows uh brian k vaughn and and marcos martin's uh panel syndicate yep with them just saying, hey, download whatever file format you want pay what you want it's not going to be pay what you want because they do have a market, a competitive marketplace to of to course, of course, be in. But the idea of people not being able to own the things they pay for is was very problematic. It's just stupid, and I think that this is a huge step forward. And I'm not saying that people are going to run away from print or that they're going no, to no. Here's the thing: it's people, a different market. It's, it's just, a different. We've learned market. that it's a different market. People that were running away from print are probably pirating it anyway. <laughs> right. I mean, truthfully, that's that's it. I just think this is a very progressive move, and Image is really leading the way on, in this. I, Definitely. I give them Definitely. huge props for it. 
On the creative side of things, the Image Expo saw a number of new series announcements from some of the hottest names in the industry. Here's the rundown. And instead of going through and then discussing them all afterwards, let's name it, discuss it, name it, discuss it, because inevitably we forget stuff. So, sure. Alone by J. Michael Straczynski and Bill Sankevich, which will, quote, deconstruct comic book stories. That's all they said about it. Yeah. Okay. Also, two of JMS's older creator-owned books, Dream Police and The Book of Lost Souls, will make the transition from icon to image. So far, everything JMS has done at Image with his Joe's Comics has been good. Two so for far, two. So far, that one thing that they've done. I thought he had two out now. <laughs> ten, ten grand, I think, is the only thing what's so the other far. One? I thought there was one ten grand and... There's one coming. It's not out yet. Sidekick. Oh, that's right. Sidekick's the next one. But, I mean, ten grand is good. Um, I'm not hard to get excited about this because there's literally no information. Yeah. But Bill Sienkiewicz, right? I mean, it's been a while since since he's had like a major project. Could so. be great. Could be hard to we'll tell see. what's going on. I mean, it's definitely one to watch. Black Science by Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera, a sci-fi series in the vein of Fear Agent, inspired by the work of Frank Frazetta and Al Williamson. This will be awesome. Love it. This will be totally awesome. Uh, Remender's calling it the spiritual successor of Fear Agent. So for those of you that miss it. This will be the book for you. Very cool. I think it sounds amazing. Yeah. I love Matteo Scalera. I do, too. We just reviewed his book two weeks ago when he did that issue of uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, Indestructible Hulk, guest starring Daredevil. Oh, right. I didn't read it. And uh, <laughs> You did. <laughs> but, yeah, this one sounds amazing, and I love that it's inspired by the crazy, you know, sci-fi stuff of Frazetta. And Williamson, man. Yeah. Al uh, Williamson was rad. Man. Deadly Class by Reminder and Wes Craig. Rick Reminder has decided he's not writing enough books, apparently. Yeah. Focusing on a school for teenage assassins in training, Reminder says that this, quote-unquote, self-indulgent title will draw on his own experience as part of the 80s punk hardcore scene. I don't know what that means. His um, own experience as an assassin in training yeah. during the 80s punk hardcore scene. I'm totally in. I think it'll be fun. Uh, Wes Craig, I haven't seen him... Since uh, his fill-in issues of Guardians of the Galaxy back during Abnett and Lanning's run, I really liked Wes Craig. He's amazing, but he's also really slow. How do you know? Uh, I was talking to... I don't want to name names. I spoke to someone who worked with him. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) MPH by Mark Miller and Duncan Fergredo, which Miller says is the first step to build a shared superhero universe he calls, quote... A Marvel universe for the 21st century. I tune out when Mark Miller opens his mouth. I think that is the tamest thing he's ever said about one it's of his true, creations. But like he's <laughs> like, saying, like, which he calls, quote, the greatest comic book that's ever <laughs> changed your life in the history of your life in comics. Yeah, he said that MPH will be to his shared universe what Fantastic Four number one was to the Marvel universe. I'm like, is that all? I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> but Duncan Vergredo. Awesome. Yeah. Mark Miller is not always terrible. No, he writes fun stuff. Jupiter's Legacy is fun. So we'll see about that. I, I love Fergredo doing it, though. So I don't, that'll be one to watch. I don't know how to say this next one, so I'm just going to spell it out. O-D-Y-C. Odyssey. O-D-Y-C. By Matt Fraction and Christian Ward, a futuristic gender-swapping reimagination of Homer's The Odyssey. So I'm saying it's The Odyssey with babes? It's, it's The Odyssey with the characters flipped. So, like... Odysseus is a is a woman, not babe. Okay, he said in his interview. How did Xenoscope miss this one? (laughs) Because 
uh, Fraction said that he wants to create an epic myth that his daughter can relate to. It's not about being okay. sexy babes. Oh, man. It's about being like empowered women. Unless they're chesty, I just don't care. Oh. Southern Bastards by <laughs> Jason Aaron and Jason Latour set in a fictional Alabama country full of bizarre villains and unusual characters. Aaron said that the series will draw on a mix of stories from the creative team's Southern heritage and ideas Aaron couldn't fit into Scalped. Oh my God! <laughs> For those of you that missed Scalped, yeah. this is a huge. Like if news. you didn't think Scalped was mean enough, <laughs> yeah, this sounds like fun. Uh, it sounds like justified the comic book, and that's what I want to read. Yeah, sounds like fun. Velvet, even though just two episodes ago, you shut said, up. We don't need I'm a justified ju- comic book. Something in the vein of justified. <laughs> Velvet reuniting the Captain America creative team of Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. Velvet follows the story of a Miss Money Penny type government agent that is forced to return to the field during the Cold War. It'd be great. Awesome. Not worried. You, awesome. Yeah, writer Ed Brubaker, artist Steve Epting. I don't care what they do. I'm in. Of that list, which one of those has got you most excited? I think Southern Bastards is super exciting and just sounds like it's going to be totally di- disturbing. I love the tour's art. I love the way Jason Aaron writes mean comics. Yeah. But I think I'm going to go with Black Science. I think Black Science sounds like the most fun. I think Black Science sounds really great, but I'll tell you what. On Tuesday, uh, I think Tuesday was the day of the Image Expo. Yes. And we were unpacking new comics at Legend, and inside... Before I read all the announcements from the expo, I found a folded promo poster for Velvet. And it's this amazing movie style painted poster. And it's like Velvet, Brubaker, Epting. And like, I got goosebumps. Wow. I like, I can't wait for Velvet. I think that that sounds like the most exciting. I think it's, yeah, I think these all, all are going to be a ton of I fun. I think it sounds like the most exciting thing to come from Image in, in a while. Not that Image hasn't been knocking it out of the park, but. I'm I'm really pumped for Epting and Brubaker to be um, reunited. Let's go back before we move on. The Icon thing. When was J. Michael Straczynski doing anything for Icon? It was back when Icon was very, very new. Okay. Uh, I think the only things there, like maybe Powers hadn't even come over yet, but they were doing some other stuff. He had the Book of Lost Souls, which I don't even think finished. Uh, and Dream Police was maybe just a one shot. Yeah, I think we saw one issue of each of those. But I maybe. think both of those projects pretty much just got aborted in midstream. I'll be honest with you, neither one of them really set the world on fire. And so I'm not that excited about it. Yeah, them. I mean, maybe they were going to be great, but we didn't see much. We'll so. see. I mean, I'll pick them back up and revisit them. Uh, Colleen Doran did Book of Lost Souls. I like her. And Mike Diodato uh, did Dream Police. I don't like him. So <laughs> I'm we'll see. Finally, we may be seeing the return of Peter Parker sooner than we expected from an unlikely source, the creator of Rambo. First bud, first bud, first bud, first blood novelist David Morell tweeted, quote, my Spider-Man Frost comic project comes out in October as the first two issues of a new comic book called Peter Parker, colon, Spider-Man. Now, this begs the question, is Peter Parker really returning in October? Or is this new series a creator-centric anthology in the vein of Daredevil, Dark Knights, or Adventures of Superman? Matt Bomb, what do you think? I have no idea. I, like, I don't know. And of, they of course, haven't given us never any information. And I think it's weird that they uh, allow him to do this on Twitter. Well, I don't know if there was any kind of allowing involved. He probably just did it. Well, they had to have said something like, hey, keep it quiet until we whatever. Well, I mean... 
to that end, I, I think that if it were really the return of Peter Parker, at the very least, Marvel would be pimping some sort of huge something lead up Spidey saga. It, even if they don't go so far as to say that Peter Parker's coming back, we would be seeing right like October, huge storyline, can't miss something. And while Superior Spider-Man is very good, I don't really see them doing anything like that on the horizon. I also think there's 0% chance that Dan Slott doesn't handle it. Oh, for sure. And I think that in October, we'll still be knee-deep in the return of Spider-Man 29. I think if anything, this is a flashback story. I mean, I love Rambo, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Like, David Morrell is a really odd choice to spearhead the return of Peter Parker, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I, I like the idea of them doing these kind of stories, like the Lee Weeks book, the Dare, the Daredevil book. Um, it's excellent. Dark Knights. Oh. And you know, Adventures of Superman at DC and Legends of the Dark Knight at DC. I love those books, the ones that give creators a chance to tell the stories they want with the version of the character they want. Yeah. And if this is like a uh, that sort of thing, I think it's very welcome, and I think people kind of are drawn to it. Oh, sure. I mean, they don't sell badly when they're written yeah. well, definitely. Well, we'll keep our eyes peeled uh, for more information about Peter Parker Spider-Man. I bet Dave Morrell just got a whole bunch of Twitter followers he didn't see coming. He probably did. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page. Where Joe and I post a video of us reenacting our favorite Rambo moments, including Joe Patrick leading the Taliban to victory from Rambo 3. What? Yeah, go back and watch Rambo 3. That's who he fights with. And me crying my eyes out in the remains of a burning gas station while Joe Patrick as Colonel Sam Troutman tries to talk me out of destroying a small Pacific Northwestern town. That shit is moving, man. You never saw. You've never seen First Blood. The only Rambo movie I've seen. Oh my god! Is John Rambo? Oh my god! <laughs> That's not entirely true. I think I've seen First Blood. I've seen First Blood Part Two. Well, I know what we're doing tonight, buddy. <laughs> Every Friday, Joe Patrick posts a question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses and play your voice messages on the Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at Two Headed Nerd. Dot com. You can call us on Skype. Our Skype handle is Two Headed Nerd. It works twenty percent of the time, and our Ziggurat direct line, which works one hundred and twenty percent of the time, is four zero two eight one nine four eight nine four. Call us. Leave us a message. Just at the beginning of that call, tell us what the message is regarding Joe. What did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was: Who is your favorite superhero alter ego? The man or woman behind the cape? I love it. If you want to hear your answers along with our own, go to twoheadednerd.com and check out the Answer of the Week audio blog later this week. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I read two of this week's new comics and decide if they should be tied to a rocket and fired in the air to celebrate America's birthday or filed in the long box. Joe, what did you read this week? My pick for this week was Satellite Sam number 1 from Image Comics, written by Matt Fraction with art by Howard Chaikin. Here's your solicit. Sex! Death! Live TV! New York City's in all caps, too. Yeah. <laughs> New York City, 1951! 1951 is not necessarily in caps. Numbers oh, are always big. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the host of a beloved daily television serial, Satellite Sam, turns up dead in a flop house filled with dirty secrets. The police think it was death by natural causes, but his son knows there was something more. If only he could sober up long enough to do something about it. Hiccup. 
This noir mystery shot through with sex and violence exposes the seedy underbelly of the golden age of television. Carlisle White is Satellite Sam, star of the show of the same name. Satellite Sam is broadcast live from a television studio in 1950s New York City. So when their lead actor goes missing, the crew discovers the tragic reason behind his disappearance, and White's son discovers a side of his father's life that he did not know existed. I'm a big fan of stories that are about television, like Studio 60 and Sports Night and Network. Yeah. Throw in a murder mystery and I'm doubly hooked, but I was a little gun-shy about Satellite Sam after the Black Kiss 2 incident. <laughs> when all those weird, like, <laughs> serpentine wieners crawled inside of boys of, and girls. <laughs> a lot of dicks. <laughs> but I was pleased to see a more restrained Howard Chaikin. There is definitely an element of seedy sex stuff, but it's, it's not the whole story. Or there actually is a story. (laughs) Mad Fraction has a great handle on the era that this story is set in. It feels authentic, and he gives the key players a distinct voice. I also love how Fraction played with the flow of time. There's a scene that stands out where we get to see the same moment unfold from two different perspectives. It's a fun scene, a great little bit of storytelling. I really liked that. There's a lot of stuff going on, though, and a lot of characters to keep track of, but I didn't find it overwhelming. I do trust Fraction to dispense the information that I need when I need it, and I'm not going to really sweat the rest. Shaken can be a pretty polarizing artist. You either love him or you hate him. I don't really know anybody that's like, eh, I kind of, yeah, Howard Shaken, eh. I like his art style a great deal, but it's the projects that he chooses that I'm not always a fan of. Fortunately, Shaken's in his element here. This is a perfect story for his style, and he does a great job. I did notice that there's a bit of a cut-and-paste look to a lot of his panels. As though Chaikin mocked up a bunch of backgrounds and then slapped his characters on top like color forms. It didn't distract me enough to take me out of the story, but I did find it pretty noticeable. I don't know if that's how he does it. I don't really know much about his process, if he's digital or on paper or what. I also don't know if he was doing it for an effect. Maybe, and it could just be like the way he shaded everything. Yeah. Like, rather than shading it with crosshatching or or just filling it in with blacks... It's like everything was shaded with a pattern. Like if the guy was wearing a suit, it was a pattern. And maybe that just made him kind of pop off the background in a weird way. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't tell. I've kind of felt like maybe he was going for a certain type of effect. It could be. Overall, I thought Satellite Sam was a compelling first installment. And it looks like it's going to be a fun little period mystery. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I really like this. I'm not going to lie. I had a little trouble with it at first because it was a little bit overwhelming to me. The way that Fraction handles... Like the dialogue, there's three different conversations going on in a two-page spread. Yeah. Like but a conversation between the techs that are working on the TV, the actors that are on the set, and then like the bigwigs that come in right. to the TV station. But did you notice that when when the guy, like the guy that's in charge behind the scenes, goes from talking to the bigwigs to the people in the control booth the word bubbles change slightly, like yes. they're a darker color yes. or whatever. And that's, like, I picked up on that and went, okay. Yeah. And I, and I liked that it wasn't spoon-fed to me and it wasn't totally separated. But at first, it was a little hard for me to wrap my head around it. Once I did, I realized that Fraction and Shaken both, I think, are doing some really experimental storytelling here. I like that you brought up Aaron Sorkin because this had a huge Aaron Sorkin feel to yeah. it. Yeah, And you can tell that Fraction loves that kind of, like, dialogue, 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 dialogue. Yeah, and that, I think that's why I didn't feel overwhelmed, because I, like, I really felt like that was a really busy room. Yeah. 
full of people just barely holding that show and together. When and I, that's when I started picturing you know, this like the West Wing or yeah. like the newsroom, then it made it flowed a lot better for me. I really enjoyed this as well. I want to see where it goes. I'm one of those guys that loves Howard Chaykin. I think he's fantastic mm-hmm. and he was really good here. Huge buy for me as well. All right. Matt, tell me about Catalyst Comics with an X. Number one. The good people at Dark Horse saw fit to bring back the heroes of their 1990s Heroes Greatest World. This is Catalyst number one, written by Joe Casey, with art by Dan McDade, Paul Mayberry, and Ulysses Farinas. Here's your solicit, straight from the glory of comics' greatest world. Frank Titan Wells, Amazing Grace, and the Agents of Change are back, baby. But you've never seen them like this. Superhero comics get a back alley facelift as these very different champions confront cosmic threats and personal demons. And it all starts at the end of the world as we know it. Oh, damn. Joe Casey is a crazy person and crazy people tend to write either really weird or really fun comics. This story opens, like it says, with the end of the world and the reintroduction of Titan, Dark Horse's Superman analog, who was, quote, the only one with the balls to stand up to Armageddon. (laughs) The art on the first story by McDade is spastic and loose. He sometimes reminds me of Paul Pope, Michael Avon Oming, and Jack Kirby all at the same time. (laughs) There's so much action and violence and fire and exploding energy packed into each panel. It's just dizzying. The second story brings back Amazing Grace, a female Tony Stark slash Reed Richards science hero that travels to the edge of creation to meet the threat that Titan is dealing with on Earth in space. Again, the narrative is just ridiculous, but I found it just a ton of fun. Paul Mayberry's art in this story is perfect for Casey's bonkers cosmic theme that he has going. There's some very 2001 Stanley Kubrick imagery that Mary brings to life beautifully without overdrawing anything. I think my favorite part of the second story was actually we see Amazing Grace picturing what she's going to be doing while she's in a yoga session, like focusing and meditating. And it's just so simply, beautifully drawn. Wonderful stuff here. The final story reintroduces Warmaker, who's sort of like an Iron Man meets Orion. And again, the art choice of Ulysses Farinas makes the story interesting. His style is much cleaner than the others. He's almost Jeff Darrow-esque. A lot of detail, but I really like how large he makes Warmaker look while still making him look like a real person. We see the reinvention and the return of another forgotten hero every week on the stands. But Catalyst stands out because of its creative team. It seems to me that Joe Casey came to Dark Horse with an insane idea, and they said, pick anyone you want, work with them, and go nuts. If you like Casey's Godland, this is right up that same alley. It's just complete insanity. But I found it to be just a ton of fun. And I think if it continues like this, it's going to be a great time. I'm saying buy it. I can't go that far, man. Like, I thought the art was beautiful. I loved the art in all three stories, especially Dan McDade in the first story. But I could not handle, by the end of it, Casey's, like, the cadence of his writing. See, I just, I, it reminds me very much of, like, the Stanley jack kirby beatnik sci-fi yeah, but, you know and i love that. this was i think too far like every single line is a metaphor like the white hot wet electric death <laughs> that's what i loved about it i i, I like that 
But it'd be to like, an extent. He flies into the white hot electric death. Can you dig it, baby? Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I like it to an extent, but not to the degree that it obscures the rest of the narrative. And I feel like that's what he did here. The concept is fun. I love how it's playing with the same moment from three perspectives. I loved the art. The elements are there. I just, I, I almost, my eyes glazed over and by the, time i got halfway through i was maybe only reading every fourth word <laughs> but I, i'm giving this one a skim it because it was just a little much a little heavy-handed in the writing of it but i'm i'm willing to see where he goes i just can't give it my full recommendation oh, i loved it i thought it was like comics on cocaine yeah well i don't do cocaine so <laughs> you deviant so that is a double buy it for satellite sam and a skim it and a buy it for catalyst number one of course we want to know what you sex-addicted and reinvented heroes thought of these comics, so be sure to share your private fetishes with us at the comment section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Unlike the show, the comment section is not rated, baby. That's right. Triple X. Yeah. One and a half X's. <laughs> With it being Independence Day weekend, it seemed only right to call up the sexy mother—that is weird. Yeah. The sexy mother-daughter speedster duo of Liberty Bell and Liberty Bell Jr. Fun fact: Liberty Bell one, not a speedster. I know. <laughs> For a high-speed piggyback race with Matt riding Liberty Senior, of course, to avoid any further legal issues. The judge says no kids. As we re- listen, Liberty Bell Jr. is of age. Whatever. As we review ten comics while racing to Coney Island to join our buddy Joey Chestnut. Where this year he'll match his speed-eating prowess against the like of Ursa Major, Volstag the Voluminous, and the Blob in a high-speed hot dog-eating challenge for this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. There are so many different ideas in that paragraph. I know, lots of fast stuff going on. God almighty. Ludicrous Speed! Detective Comics number 22 from DC. Writer John Lehman revamps Bat-Villain Wrath. And he has a very similar origin to Bruce. In fact, he seems to be Batman's evil reflection. He owns a rival company that makes weapons. He's stupid rich, and he fights crime by night. If fighting crime means killing cops. Great art, as usual, by Jason Fabok. Layman is maintaining a great story, but not a lot of detective work to be done here. Still, if you're setting up a big fight with Bruce's equal and opposite, well, that's always fun. Buy it. Batman 66, number one, from DC. I know Matt will hate this comic. Already do. I absolutely adored it. Jeff Parker and Jonathan Case capture the spirit of unbridled fun that the 60s Batman TV series was known for. This is a comic that begs to be read digitally, and it uses the quote-unquote guided view technology to wonderful effect. This is definitely one of the best things I read this week. Huge buy it. It's only 99 cents. I didn't I didn't. Read it. Oh, man. It's so good and so much fun. I'll check it out. Yeah, no, you won't. Yeah, I will. You're a hater. I am not. Final Plague, number one, from Action Lab. This is a zombie story starring animals, sort of. Here we see a rural Iowan family trying to fend off a group of rabid, murderous animals that seem to have been infected with a 28 Days Later type rage virus. Interesting hardline art that reminded me a bit of Riley Rosmo and other times Ashley Wood. Not a bad story here, but there seems to be a lot of stories like this out there at present. Speaking of Riley Rosmo, this did remind me a little bit of Rebel Blood. I'm giving it a skip. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number one, from Marvel. I love a good story about villains, especially if they're bumbling and lovable. Uh, Nick Spencer does a great job with this tale of Spidey's C-list villains, and it's perfectly illustrated by the great Steve Lieber. It's funny, a little bit of touching, kind of pathetic, 
and a ton of fun to read. <laughs> we need more comics like this one. Huge buy it. Steam Engines of Oz, number one from Arcana. You know you only do this to yourself. I realize it. I don't care about steampunk. In fact, I think I'm allergic to it. And after reading this comic, I broke out in hives. Here, the good people at Arcana have figured out a way to hammer steampunk into the land of Oz, a property that was just sitting there in the public domain, waiting for someone to put all the characters in goggles and strappy outfits. (laughs) The art was fine in a very busy manga-influenced type style. But I don't need this at all. Leave it. (laughs) Trinity of Sin, Pandora, number one from DC. After two years of waiting, DC finally gets around to telling the story of the mysterious woman first seen at the end of Flashpoint. The problem is, I no longer care. How can you not care? She's been around the whole time, right? Oh, wait a minute. No, we haven't seen her for like more than a year and a half. (laughs) This isn't an anti-DC thing. I just think they waited way too long to get to any sort of point. There's nothing wrong with this issue. It's competently executed by the creative team. I just can't seem to muster up enough interest. But your mileage may vary, so skim it. Dexter, number one, from Marvel. This didn't work for me. Maybe I'm guilty of judging this by the show that I love so much, but this was not the adaptation of Dexter I wanted. I needed Dexter to look like Michael C. Hall and sound like him. But artist, Dalibor Pelagic. Ooh. Makes no effort to make Dexter recognizable. But for some reason, his wife looks exactly like the actress on the Showtime show. I don't get it. The dialogue here works, but without Hall's delivery, it just isn't as convincing. And I don't know. I I just didn't need this. I wanted it to be better because I love Dexter so much. But Dexter at his high school reunion, meh, barely care. Skip it. Felt a little forced. Avengers AI number one from Marvel. Sam Humphreys assembles a new team of robotic Avengers to combat the rise of artificial intelligence in the wake of Age of Ultron. I love Hank Pym. I love the vision. And Humphreys tosses in some other fun characters here like Victor Mancha from Runaways and a reprogrammed Doombot that's very funny. Great art by Andre Araujo. Looking forward to more. Missed opportunity not putting uh, Machine Man. the next wave Machine Man in there. Right? But I think Jeff Parker's been using them in Red She-Hulk. Uh, 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 you could be both places. Wolverine's on 15 different scenes. <laughs> this is a buy it. It was great. I don't know why I do this like in there. It should have been the owl. The owl, number one from Dynamite. J.T. Kroll, Joe Patrick's favorite writer, brings back another Project Superpowers spinoff this time by Joe Patrick's favorite writer. J.T. Crow. Man. This one sees the owl I missed him. leaping back into modern day after 50 years spent in a magic urn with some of the other heroes. Yeah. Uh, the art was not very good. Here. I liked the art. I didn't. Like, I, there were parts of it that I did like some cool effects, like the owl does this thing where he blinds people and he has special goggles so you can still see him and fights him. And that was kind of neat. There are other panels that just looked unfinished and really didn't work. I didn't love the story here. It just feels like Dynamite is playing on the same theme over and over and over again. You don't need this. Leave it. Absolution Rubicon, number one from Avatar. This is the return of Christos Gage's series about a superhero cop named John Dusk that reaches his breaking point and takes the law into his own hands. In the wake of his fall from grace, crooks that Dusk put away legitimately are being put back on the streets, and Dusk is not taking it lightly. Fun stuff. Great art by Daniel Getty. Geet. Geet. It's a nice departure from the Avatar house style we were just talking about a couple weeks ago, to be frank. Yeah, it, this does look different. The art was very, very good, and I love this story. It's 
it's set in a world where it's the like a cops, super punisher, right? Yeah, the cops are, are the superheroes are deputized. They're like right. authorized um, lawmen. I love it. Buy it. Crouch! That is your ludicrous beat around, and crouch is the sound of a reprogrammed Doombot destroying Renegade Shield drones, as seen in this week's issue of Avengers AI number one. Every year on Independence Day, Matt and I get together in the Sanctum Sanctorum for a good old-fashioned Fourth of July seance. It's your American duty. Using a couple of smoke bombs we scored off of Mysterio and the skull of Benjamin Lockwood, the former Agent Liberty. No relation to Matthew Lockwood Esquire. That we know of. To call upon the spirits of fallen patriotic-themed heroes like Mr. America, the original star-spangled kid. He was just a kid for crying out loud. And the spirit of 76. You don't know anything about the star-spangled kid, do you? I don't know anything. He was a grown man. Why do you call himself a kid? Listen, because he started fighting crime when he was a kid. What a pervert. And after a small offering of PBR and skull chewing tobacco, they were nice enough to tell us what they knew of next week's new comics. Why skull? It's very American. Doesn't it have a Native American on the box? I don't know. I don't chew. It's disgusting. <laughs> You're back in their day. Everybody chewed, right? <laughs> Matt. Ding! You know, whatever. What do these brave fallen soldiers have you excited for next week? Next week, I am excited for Ballistic, number one, from Black Mask Comics. It's written by Adam Egypt Mortimer. I am not making that name up. With art by Derek Robertson. Here's your solicit. This madcap sci-fi buddy adventure about a wannabe bank robber and his best friend, Gun, a drug-addicted, foul-mouthed living gun, (laughs) marks Derek Robertson's return to the hard sci-fi world-building of his classic transmetropolitan Mixed with the boys, ultraviolence, and the lunacy of happy. I love Derek Robertson. I love the premise of this story. And you know what? Black Mask, doing a great job. Giving them huge props. That's why they get my pick of the week. Joe Patrick, what are you reading this week? I didn't mean to imply that Native Americans are not somehow patriotic. Oh, no, that's exactly what you implied, sir. Well, And they're all hooked on chewing tobacco, apparently. <laughs> that's not how I meant it. <laughs> My pick for next week is... I'm just going to stop yep. trying to defend this. <laughs> My pick for next week is Quantum and Woody, number one, from Valiant Entertainment, written by James Asmus, with art by Tom Fowler. Here's your solicit. Writer James Asmus and artist Tom Fowler punt the world's worst super team headfirst into the Valiant universe. Once upon a time, Eric and Woody Henderson were inseparable adopted brothers, best friends, brilliant minds. Years later, they are estranged siblings, petty rivals, and washed-up failures. But when their father's murder leads them into the throes of a life-altering scientific accident, Eric and Woody will find themselves with a whole new purpose, and a perfectly legitimate reason to wear costumes and fight crime. Go big or go home, folks. Quantum and Woody are coming, and the action-packed, zeitgeist-shredding, exploitation-stunt comic you demanded is here at last. And yes, there will be a goat too, eventually. Stunt comics. I guess. It's about time they, uh, they got those going. <laughs> I am a huge fan of the original Quantum Nuity. We've talked about it before on the show. Valiant's doing a great job with their revivals. And while I would have loved to see Christopher Priest come back and revive Quantum and Woody, yeah. this one looks really fun. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. It gets my pick. Quantum and Woody, 
does not get enough attention. Right on. I totally agree. There you go. The THM Trade of the Week goes to Mouse Guard, Volume 3, The Black Axe. This is the story of Kellanaw, and we know that's how his name is pronounced because we interviewed David Peterson, the creator, last week. That's what he said. Becoming the new fabled Black Axe and discovering the history behind the mysterious weapon. This is the six-issue miniseries plus 11 two-page spreads that flesh out the world and food they eat and why the clans look they went man these books are so cool yeah go back and listen to the interview last week if you want to get fired up for it too Ar- pick it up next week Arkaya puts out a great product not for long boom will be putting it out soon of course we want to know by <laughs> of course we want to know what you're looking forward to next week so be sure to tell us what comics you'll be free to read because your fathers died face down in the mud and the blood on our Facebook page Facebook dot com forward slash two-headed nerd you almost lost it that I time i know did star spangled kid die face down in mud <laughs> blood no okay he was killed when solomon grundy grabbed mr bones and forced him to touch star spangled kid with his poison skin Ugh. yeah terrible yeah killed him man but he wasn't a kid no he was a grown man fair enough star spangled kid fought crime in the 40s dude he's a grown-ass man yes It's time again to dive into the pool of our fan letters, Uncle Scrooge style, and come up with one lucky listener's question. We like swim around. Yeah. You know, like. Because life is like an aeroplane yes. here in the ziggurat. That's right, kitties. It's time for Ask a Nerd. I read that wrong, but whatever. Yep. This week, disgraced comedian Michael Richards writes. His name is Michael Richards. Oh, sorry. I got super excited. Dear two headed nerd, did Bruce. I wish I could do a Kramer impersonation. <laughs> I can't do it. Can I you? can't. Not can really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Dude, you want to That's not good. Did Bruce Wayne go to college? If not, no, I can't do it. No, that's not good. <laughs> I can't do it. Mike writes, Dear Two-Headed Nerd, did Bruce Wayne go to college? If not, who in the real world can we compare him to? I don't know who else to ask. Thanks. Mike from Brooklyn. Mike might be one of our hipster listeners. Brooklyn's a pretty hip place. I don't know if you've ever been there. Nope. It's pretty hip. Well, a lot of people live in Brooklyn, and Tight I pants. bet you 1% of them are hipsters. Whoa, dude, you've never been there. <laughs> I'll bet closer to 98% of them are hipsters. <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> the other 2% are like old people that have been there going, what's with all these hipsters? <laughs> oh, jeez. Did Batman go to college? I don't know. I was thinking about this. I have no idea. I don't ever recall like a story of like Batman's college roommate or anything. I don't know. Sure. Oh, it depends on which interpretation of the character of the mythology that you're going for. You know, and, uh, and everybody knows about him like traveling the world, learning from different like masters about different disciplines or whatever. Sure, but they don't ever really show you him studying the brain stuff, like the academic stuff. Yeah. When well, it, back in like the Silver Age okay, or Silver. the Bronze Age, so like late seventies. Sure. There is actually, um, I, I looked it up today, there is a a scene from one comic where it shows Batman in Wayne Manor, and on the wall is a law degree from Yale. Huh. Uh, obviously, that's just an Easter egg that somebody put in. They never really referenced him going to yeah, Yale. Batman didn't go to Yale. But I have a very vivid memory of a comic book called Untold Legends of the Batman, from the very early 80s or the very late 70s, which is about all the stuff leading up to him becoming Batman, like where did he get the Batmobile from and things like that. And they explain 
what he did in the years as he grew up, like pre-Batman but post-parents dying, and included in that tale was a stretch of him at college studying criminology and forensics and all that stuff that make Batman the world's greatest detective. Gotham City Community College? or uh, Some, some... <laughs> the GCCC? I'm sure it was something like Gotham State University or whatever. Right. But there is a scene in there where he's in a, a criminal law class and the professor is describing a hypothetical scenario to him and Bruce Wayne answers a certain way and the professor says, I'm sorry, Mr. Wayne, you're wrong. And Wayne says, but professor, that's not justice. And the professor says, you're right, Mr. Wayne, that's the law. And so that's where he like learned that the letter of the law and justice are not the same thing. So I think you can kind of assume that he did study in college, but maybe he never graduated. It's really not important that he has a degree, but he did go and learn these techniques. Like he didn't like materialize them from thin air. And I kind of like that idea that he wanted to work within the system for a while and then he went to college. And then he found out that it's like, oh, no, this is wrong. The system is broken. I need to do something more. And from there, he went on to train to become a vigilante. Now, according to io9.com, they show that thing with the Yale. uh, Yeah, that's where I I found it. Yeah. And his grandfather on the TV show founded the Skull and Bone (laughs) Society. at Princeton? Yeah, at Princeton. So, like, (laughs) what's going on here? This is bizarre. So, to answer your question, Michael, yes, there are stories that were at one point in canon where he attended college whether or not he graduated i don't think has ever been fully revealed yeah like dr doom not a real doctor no dr doom is definitely not a real doctor never got his doctorate nope (laughs) in fact his like final like experiment blew up in his face and turned him into dr doom right i'd say that's an f (laughs) you know (laughs) now as for who we can compare compare him to in the real world I don't. I don't really know. Matt has an answer. Though. This is tough. This is tough. And I was thinking about it. And at first, I want to say Richard Branson because dude's a rich guy. But it, like, he's not all ripped up. He doesn't whoop ass or anything. So, well, no, like nobody dresses up like no, Batman and fights crime. No, obviously, not that we know of. <laughs> sure. Uh? But if you if you mean in terms of like what like self made man does good in the world, you know, without having a college well, degree, Batman's not a self made man. Batman inherited his money. He's a spoiled rich kid who decided to be a badass. But he trained himself, and like he's the one that sure decided to act in this way. Oh, oh, oh what's his head? Uh, who went to Haiti to help everybody and uh, swam around in uh, the floods in New Orleans and saved people? Sean Penn. Sean Penn. <laughs> Sean Penn. Man, I, he was like doing an interview with CNN on a boat in New Orleans when it was all flooded. And they were like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just doing anything I can to help people down here. And someone's like, in the distance, you hear someone like, I'm falling, help, help. And Sean Penn looks and sees a dude like hanging onto the roof who falls and hits the water. And Penn jumps out of the boat and swims over and saves the guy. And Anderson Cooper is just like, holy shit. (laughs) Sean Penn is your Batman, sir. There There you you go. go. You heard it here. Thanks for your question, Mike. That was a rad one. (laughs) That that turned out to be way cooler than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a question for the Two-Headed Nerd, you can send it to us via email with the subject line, Ask a Nerd, or call us and leave a message at our Ziggurat direct line, 
We mentioned it earlier in the show, and we're going to mention it again in just a minute. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Independence Day episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. The name got longer, you may notice. If you love America so much you think this country is morally superior and the most bestest country of all time, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can swear your THN allegiance by leaving us a star rating or a written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. I've heard that there may be a problem with leaving reviews on iTunes. And if anyone else out there is having trouble, let us know. But keep fire assholes. <laughs> Thanks to our most recent donor, Sam McGuffey. That guy is crazy. He has elevated to Uru Metal status. He's it, like godlike status. I don't know how it gets any higher. I don't know either. We're going to have to invent stuff. Make something up. Yeah. We're going to have to put him on the source wall. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to help keep us in abortions for some and tiny American flags for others, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button. That's what Kang and Kodos are running for president. At twoheadedcurve.com. <laughs> I'm sorry. Abortions for no one. Boo. <laughs> abortions for some boo abortions for some tiny american flags for others yay <laughs> thanks for explaining that because i had no idea it's what you're Simpsons talking about reference while you're there you can find links to our twitter feed at two-headed nerd our email two-headed nerd at gmail.com our youtube channel thn comic cast our skype handle two-headed nerd all one word and our direct phone number the ziggurat line 402-819-4894 where you can send slash call us with your ask a nerd questions or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading or ask us to review your self-published comic be it printed digital whatever and don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including Casey's adventures with the Kinky Wizards when she sat in on our monthly D&D game, and the Credible Hulk rapping about the D&D 1980s Saturday morning cartoon, Lots of Dungeons and Dragons Love at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own written and audio responses, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, the comic pushes are back, shooting comic junk into one comic junkie's bulging veins. Great. Gross. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Ashley Victoria Robinson, sounds like you might be a princess or something, who hit us with our landmark 550th like. We only have 550? Bye bye. Don't be greedy. That's gonna give me one. Word to you, Ash, and until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the two-headed nerd. Why would I be lying to you? I don't know. I thought we had like a thousand. It says it right there on the page. I, I never go there. I got nothing to read there. You kidding me? I try to stay away from little people. This is your two-headed nerd co-host. <laughs> you know which one of us really loves you. <laughs> I'm afraid of the peasants, Joe. I'm afraid of the peasants. Mm. You're just like King Joffrey. True. <laughs> <laughs>